And now we come to the Word of God and the ministry of the Word of God, not just to the reading of it, which I've already done, but to the exposition of the Word. And so I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. And today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, and this is an extension of last Sunday's message. Last Sunday was part 1, and this is now part 2. The title is Born of God. Uh, This message will be about the new birth and being born again. And I want to begin reading in verse 1. I want to reintroduce this passage and set it before your eyes and your heart again, and we will work our way through it. This passage reads, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever believes, excuse me, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. In these verses, the Apostle John is addressing the subject of who is born of God. And he's giving us the distinguishing marks of the one who has been begotten by the Father and birthed into the kingdom. In other words, here are the necessary evidences of the one who has new life within Him. Jesus said that there is an inseparable connection between regeneration and sanctification, between the new birth and a changed life. Jesus said that there is this connection between the root of the new birth, the root of regeneration, and the fruit of a transformed life. And these will always be interconnected together. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, so you will know them by their fruits. That is what John is doing in this passage. He is detailing for us what are the fruits of the one who has been born of God. He understands that it is easy just to make a profession of Christ, yet not have the possession of Christ. That it is easy to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and perform many wondrous works and yet not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? So these five evidences are confirmations to our heart that we have been born of God. How do we we know that we have been born of God? Well, there is an internal witness and an external witness. And the internal witness is the ministry of God the Holy Spirit within our hearts. He is the one who convicted us and called us and drew us and regenerated us and has granted repentance and faith and sealed us in Christ. And His 
inner testimony, his inner witness within us affirms and confirms that we belong to God. But there is also an external witness, the external fruit that is the product and the result of being born of God, such that we ought to be able to look at our spiritual lives and examine ourselves and to see evidences of God's grace in our lives. For it is God who is at work within us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so last time together, we considered the meaning of being born of God, that it is the life of God in the soul of a man. It is eternal life to come into a spiritually dead soul, and that one who is begotten by God is suddenly made alive unto God, and now has a a new heart and a new mind and a, a new disposition and new passions and new loves. That's the meaning of the new birth. It is the life of God in the soul of a man. But today we want to consider the marks of the one who is born of God. And in this passage, there are five, and still by way of introduction, I want to draw these to your attention. Uh, the first is faith in Christ. We, we see at the beginning of verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The second mark is love for the Father. He goes on to say, and whoever loves the Father. And it, in verse 2, he says, we love God. And in the beginning of verse 3, for this is the love of God, referring to our love for God. So that's the second mark of the new birth, faith in Christ, love for God, and then third, love for the brethren. He, he goes on to say in the middle of verse 2, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of God. And these are all interconnected together. These are like links in a chain. Uh, all five of these will be present in the life of the one who has been born from above. And then fourth, he keeps the commandments. We, we see that in the middle of, of, or at the end of verse 2, he says, and observe His commandments. And in verse 3, we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So that becomes the fourth distinguishing mark of the one who is regenerated. And then finally, overcomes the world. Uh, this really reaches a high watermark and a crescendo in verses 4 and 5, that whoever is born of God overcomes the world. So this is a very helpful passage because it gives us the profile of the child of God, and it becomes a means by which we can determine whether our profession of Christ is genuine or not. So let's look at now the marks of being born of God, and I've already said there are five. And the first is found at the beginning of verse 1. It's faith in Christ. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This is number one on the list. It is always number one on the list because this is the very first evidence of someone who has, has been birthed by the Spirit of God. He immediately believes in Jesus Christ with saving faith. True saving faith in Christ involves the mind, the heart, and the will. With the mind, you know the essential truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And within your heart, you are convicted and persuaded and convinced of your desperate need of the gospel. And then with your will, as an act of your will, you cross the line and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And this is so important that it's number one on the list in verse 1, and it concludes this section at the end of verse 5, believing that Jesus is the Son of God is like the bookends around this cluster of verses, really buttressing them and holding them up. This saving faith in Christ is a decisive faith in Christ. It's not half-hearted. It's very definitive, and it's very wholehearted. It is also a submissive faith, as the one who believes comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ and surrenders his life or her life to King Jesus. Uh, Such saving faith is repentant faith in which one renounces a life of sin, and it is persevering faith, meaning it's not just a one-time event at the moment one first believes, but it is an ongoing faith in Christ throughout the entirety of one's life. No one will ever revert back to being an unbeliever once you become a believer. And so, this belief that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Christ means that He is the long uh, ago promised one, the Messiah, who, of whom the prophets spoke, who would come and be the Savior of sinners and would usher in the kingdom of God here upon the earth. It is also necessary at the end of verse 5 to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God in human flesh, that He is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father, that He's more than just a carpenter, but that He is King of kings and Lord of lords, that He has existed from all eternity past, and there has never been a time in which He came into existence that he was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death upon the cross, was buried, raised from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father where all authority in heaven and earth have been given unto him. This is the Jesus in whom we believe. And this saving faith to believe in Christ is produced by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who, who begets us is the same Holy Spirit who grants repentance and faith at the very moment that we are birthed into the kingdom. Added to this is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What is not of yourselves? Both the grace and the faith. Those are both gifts of God that He grants to those for whom it is appointed. In Philippians 1.29, it says, It has been granted to us to believe. And in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Jesus is the author of faith. We're not the author of our own faith. It is Jesus Christ working by His Spirit, who produces saving faith within us. And 2 Peter 1, verse 1, says that we have, a re- we have received a faith of the same kind. We have received faith. Now, as you look at verse 1 and see this first evidence of the new birth, 
Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I need to ask you a question, really two questions. Does someone believe and then is born again, or is someone born again and then believes? R.C. Sproul told me on a number of occasions that this really is the continental divide in understanding salvation, how it comes to reside within us. And according to this passage, as well as countless other passages, we are born again and then believe. Dead men do not believe. We must be given life in order to believe. And the reason we say that from this text is, look at it again, whoever believes, that's in the present tense. Whoever is continually, day by day, believing that Jesus is the Christ, notice what comes next, is born of God, but that's not in the present tense, that is in the perfect tense, which means it is a reality that occurred in the past with continuing results. And so, to literally translate this, it would read this way, whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ has already been born of God. So, here's the point. The new birth logically precedes faith and theologically, and the new birth produces faith. God is always out ahead, and God is the one who has begotten us, and in that moment, He grants us not only a new heart and a new mind, but He grants to us saving faith. And it all takes place in a moment. It's like striking a match, and instantly, immediately, there is light and there is heat. And those two cannot be separated, and those two begin the moment the match is struck. So it is in the new birth. In that very moment, when the match is struck, if you will, there is repentance and faith that proceeds from the new birth. No one is born again who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. There are not people walking around in Los Angeles today who have been regenerated, but they have not yet come to saving faith in Christ. It is at the very split second that God impregnates the human soul and plants the seed or the sperma of eternal life within that, within that heart. In that very moment, there is the begottening of new life, and in that same split second, God grants saving faith. So, even as we come to the Lord's table today, we have so much for which to be thankful for. That is God who performed open-heart surgery within us, and it is God who, who did a work that we could have never done for ourselves. Dead men cannot raise themselves from the grave of sin. God acted upon us, and the result of that is we have believed in Jesus Christ. So that is the first mark of saving faith. And so I need to ask you, have you been born again? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Christ to save you? Have you submitted your life and surrendered your life to the Lordship 
of Jesus Christ? Have you entrusted your soul to Him? If so, it is because you have been born again. But second, not only faith in Christ, but there's a second mark, and it's a very important mark, and it is love for God. And you'll notice how verse 1 now reads, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and, that word and is hugely important, and whoever loves the Father. You see, faith in Christ, love for God are inseparably bound together. It's a package deal. It does not say or, it says and, and whoever loves the Father. This, too, is a simultaneous work that God the Holy Spirit works in us at the moment of the new birth. Suddenly, we believe in Christ, and suddenly we become a true lover of God the Father. Why? Because it is God the Father who sent His Son into this world on a mission of salvation to rescue us from eternal destruction. Not only do we love the Son who came to save us, We love the Father who sent the Son to save us. When he says loves the Father, it just flows out of this new heart of flesh. This could be read, whoever adores the Father is born of God. Whoever treasures the Father above all treasures in the world is born of God. Whoever worships God the Father and esteems God the Father and prizes God the Father above all that this world offers is born of God. In the life of the one who is born again, God the Father is not in second place. He's not riding in the back seat. He is our first and foremost delight along with His Son, Jesus Christ. We now delight in the Father. It, it, it is all together a work of God's grace. And in Matthew 10 and verse 40, Jesus said, he, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Let me read that again. He who receives me, referring to Christ, refers him, referring to the Father, who sent me. The same is said in Luke 9, 48, and John 13, verse 20. And so this is how we know that we have been born of God. We love God. Now, previous to the new birth, we did not love God. We may have had sentimental feelings about God at Christmas time, but we did not prize Him and savor Him. You know what we loved? We loved ourselves. That's why Jesus said we must deny ourselves and take up a cross and and follow Christ. We loved our sin because that was the desire of our sin nature. And we loved our fleshly pleasures. We were at best indifferent toward God and in many cases were antagonistic against God. As though we were being tied down by God's restrictions. Psalm 2 verses 1 through But in the new birth, there is suddenly now this burst of love for God. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 28, 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For whom? To those who love God. Now, who are those who love God? Who are called according to His purpose. It's referring to the elect of God. And at the moment of regeneration, our hearts burst forth with a fountain of love for God. That is why we love to come to church to hear God's Word, to be with God's people, to sing God's praises, because we love God. No one twisted our arm to be here. This is a volunteer army here today, for the most part. I only wish we were all on salary. Then we could tell you what to do, but... uh, We just have to appeal to you from the Word of God. And because you love God, you come here Sunday after Sunday and week after week. It's the second mark of the one who is born of God. So, do you see this new heart of, as Jonathan Edwards would call it, new affections for for God? That is the mark of the new birth. But third... There's love for believers. And this is all intertwined together. Look at verse 1 again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. These are like links in a chain, as I've already said, and these links are all welded together. That This is not a multiple choice where you get to pick one or two out of the three in verse 1. No, across the board in a comprehensive way, This is a part of the total transformation that is taking place in the life of the one who is born of God. You now love the child born of God. Before you were converted, you may have thought Christians were kind of odd people, you know, strangers and aliens and some stranger than others. Um, You may have been apprehensive about spending time with, with Christians but then you're born of God, and suddenly you're a child of God, and you realize, I have brothers and sisters in Christ in this, in this invisible family, and when I see them, I, I'm just drawn to them. Where, where previously I, I might have kept my distance, now I want to embrace them. They may be of a different generation. They may be of a different age. They may be of a different skin color. They may be of, of, of a different economic group, of different this or that, but We are welded together at the most important place because we are one in Christ. And so there is this transformation. I mean, look at this today. There's no place else in Los Angeles that this cross-section of people would be gathered together in one place, and we're all getting along with one another and loving one another. And when this service is over, it'll take some of you two hours to leave this place because I know because I have to stay till some of you leave. <laughs> so, it's just because we love the child born of God. That's just the way it works, does, is it not? And so, do you see that you want to regularly come to church because you love the people of God? You can't love them and watch on live stream. I mean, you got to be present to love somebody. I mean, do you see that you fervently pray for other Christians, that you sacrificially give to other believers, that you humbly serve other believers, that you quickly forgive other believers? This is an evidence 
that new life is in you and that you're a new creature in Christ and the old things have passed away and new things have come because you see yourself loving in a way that you would have never previously been drawn to these other Christians. And so what we see here is that there is faith in Christ, and there is love for God, and this love for God is so great that it, it, it just is like a fountain that spills out and pours out into love for other believers. It's all a package deal. And then fourth, we see obedience to Scripture, and that's in verse 2. And he says, by this we know, and there, there is a note of certainty about this. In fact, the word know is used 40 times in the book of 1 John. Um, it, it's, a, it's a book about knowing for sure where you stand with the Lord. By this we know that we love the children of God, which points back to verse 1. When we love God, that points back to verse 1 again, and here's another and. And, in the middle of verse 2, we observe His commandments. Again, it's not either or, it's both and. And this is the next aspect of the fruit that is produced from the root of regeneration. It says we observe His commandments. What does it mean to observe His commandments? Well, it doesn't mean to read them. It doesn't mean just to look at them. It doesn't even mean just to, to, to learn them. To observe them is a Greek word that means to practice them, to accomplish them. And it really becomes synonymous with obedience, that we would keep His commandments, and we treasure and value His commandments. The word commandments here means divine injunctions that charge us in how to live. They, they, they bind our conscience, and they weigh heavy upon us, and we desire to please God by keeping them. A cross-reference I, I need to read at this point is Ezekiel 36, verse 27, which reads, and God is the speaker, I will put my spirit within you, now listen to this, and cause you, cause you to walk in my statutes, this overpowering work of sanctifying grace in our lives, and cause you to work in my statutes, and listen to this, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. I mean, God has just laid hold of us in the new birth. In fact, God has invaded our lives in the new birth. God has moved into our lives and brought new life within us, and God is now causing us to be careful to observe His commandments. And this is so important that verse 3 follows up the statement that he just made at the end of verse 2 about observe his commandments. Verse 3 begins with the word for, which introduces an explanation. This is the explanation for why we observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, 
this love of God refers not to God's love for us in this instance, but our love for God. For this is the love of God. In fact, he said that in the middle of verse 2. We love God and observe His commandments. So verse 3, for this is the love of God or our love for God, that we keep His commandments. Now notice the end of verse 3, and His commandments are not burdensome. They're not oppressive. They're not stifling. They're not holding us back from fullness of life. In fact, every commandment of God that is put in the positive is pointing us to abundant life in Christ. It's for our good. And every negative commandment that says, you shall not, is holding us back from that which will harm us and destroy us. This is why His commandments are not burdensome. They are leading us into life. If you're born of God, you understand this. If you are born of God, the yoke of the Lordship of Christ is upon your neck, and you desire to please God, and obedience pleases God. Obedience honors God, and God honors obedience. And so do you see your heart growing in its desire to keep the commandments of God? It's a mark of the new birth. And when you do not, are you not convicted about this? And do you not repent of it eventually and confess it that you might come back to the path of obedience? That's the mark of a child of God. It's not that we never sin and that we never disobey. It's that when we do sin and when we do disobey, we are grieved by it and want to get back on the right path through repentance and faith. But there's a final mark of the believer, and it's very important. In fact, it's somewhat of a crescendo in in this section. In verses 4 and 5, he says in verse 4, for whatever, or the fifth mark is overcomes the world. I I need to say that for my note takers here today. Overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The word word overcomes here means conquers the world, prevails against the world, lives victorious over and and against the world. You will live a victorious life. And the world here refers not to the planet on which we live. It refers to the evil world system of the kingdom of darkness over which Satan uh, presides as the God of this age and the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He is the evil one who is presiding over the evil kingdom of the world. And it is in this that we live, this, this, this world that we overcome is, involves the world of politics and the world of the media and the world of education and the world of entertainment and the world of medicine, and the world of music, and the world of movies, and the world of sports. There are evil, sinister forces at work behind the 
the individuals, because we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But he is, he is manipulating the world and flooding it with lies and deceptions that are anti-God and anti-Christ and anti-truth and anti-family, anti-purity and everything that is right and holy before God. And we are being bombarded on every side by the world. And will we cave in to the pressures of the world? No, because we are born of God. And we overcome the world, the lures, the lies, and the lusts of the world. And he goes on to say, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It is because we have attached ourselves to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords who has already crushed the head of the serpent at the cross and who is at work administrating the affairs of providence right now. He is Lord over even the kingdom of darkness. The one, the one who is born of God overcomes the world's same-sex homosexual agenda the one who is born of God overcomes the lies of the transgender agenda. The one who is born of God overcomes the feminist agenda and overcomes the abortion agenda and overcomes the political corruption and the lies known as misinformation and race baiting. The one who is born of God overcomes the child sexist indoctrination and drag queen shows in elementary schools it is impossible to be born of God and be sucked into the sewer of this world. You will stand against it. And I love this church. I love this pastor. I love these elders. I love this congregation because you have overcome the world. And the church that is largely composed of those who are unregenerate, who are church members but have never been born again, and the vast majority of that church is comprised of those who are unconverted, that is an apostate church that welcomes and affirms the world's agenda and has tolerance for the world's agenda such as the case of any church, any seminary, any denomination that endorses and improves, approves same-sex marriage, that ordains homosexuals into the ministry, that ordains lesbians into the ministry, that baptizes openly professing homosexuals and flies the rainbow flag over the front door of the church, that is an apostate church. It is a synagogue of Satan. The one who is born of God overcomes the lies and the lusts and the lures of this evil world system. And so just to reinforce this in verse 5, John writes, who is the one who overcomes the world? In other words, who is the one who does not buy into the world's agenda? Who is the one who does not approve the world's deviant lifestyles? 
Who is the one who does not support the grisly abortion mills and homosexuality and, and transgenderism? Who is the one who does not, who does not endorse drag queen shows? This is a relevant question in the hour in which we live. And John gives us the answer. It's a black and white answer. There's not one drop of gray here. But he, and the emphasis, he and he alone, who believes, who has committed his life to Christ, who has surrendered to Christ, who has submitted to Christ, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. God, you will not go along with the world's agenda because you have a new heart and a new mind and a new life, and you're not the person you once were. This is a work of God's grace, is it not? And so, the question is, are you born of God? Are you born again? Jesus said that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus said, except you be born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, except you be born of water and the Spirit, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is of utmost importance and necessity. And as you would look at your life, as you see these evidences, these five evidences, this should be green lights for you affirming that that God has done an eternal work within your soul, and you have been birthed from above. That as I've gone through this, and as there is in your heart or mind this lingering question, I don't think I've ever, God has ever done this in me. Then I would urge you to call upon the name of the Lord. I would urge you this moment and this day to say, oh, God, do this in me. God, birth me into your kingdom. God, do a work of grace that only you can do. I would urge you, do not leave here today until God has done business in your heart and in your soul. May today be the market day of your soul for God to impart eternal life. May you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. It is something that only God can do. But I would urge you to call upon the name of the Lord. Because the scripture says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So may the Lord use these verses to rally our own hearts and strengthen our souls and fortify our faith as we are living in dangerous and dark and desperate days. May the light of this church and may the light of your Christian life shine brighter than 10,000 suns above. Father, thank you for this passage. Stir our hearts with this passage. How grateful we are for what you've done in our lives. And as we come now to the Lord's table, I pray that you would use it for its appointed end, that we would would truly remember the death of Christ that has released us 
from this evil world system. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.